0: Welcome to the High Reliability Podcast, presented by Goslin Martin Associates. I'm your host, Peter Martin, president of Goslin Martin Associates. The High Reliability Podcast is focused solely on the healthcare facility management professional, and it is sponsored by The Career Hub. The Career Hub is powered by Goslin Martin Associates, so if you haven't checked it out yet, please do so. You can link to it off of our main website at goslin associatescom or you can link to it directly at careersgoslin associatescom Today, we welcome Jonathan Hunley back to the High Reliability Podcast. Jonathan first joined us last December. Uh, the subject of that discussion was, so you want to be a system director of non-threshold infrastructure. Jonathan, as you may have surmised by our last conversation, he is the system director of facilities infrastructure at Bon Secours Mercy Health. Jonathan works out of the Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky area. He's got a CHFM, his CHC. He's got his lead uh, certification. He's got his CHOP. So he's got a number of certifications as well as his degree. At Bon Secours Mercy Health, Jonathan is responsible for the infrastructure projects for the entire system. He has oversight of 35 hospitals and more than 15 million square feet. His role extends from project inception through project completion and all of the points within that process. In his role, he also evaluates and assesses infrastructure needs for each facility, and he prioritizes this list based on set criteria that revolve around regulatory compliance, energy efficiency improvements, and patient experience. Of course, he doesn't do this alone. He works with folks at those 35 hospitals. Jonathan was recently selected by the editors of Healthcare Design Magazine as a winner of the HCD10 Professional Awards Program. The HCD10, that's tough to say, honors industry members across 10 categories. The award highlights those who have influenced projects and or the industry for the better. Jonathan won in the Facility Manager category, one of 10 winners. Jonathan, congratulations on the award. Welcome back to High Reliability. How are you?
1: Thanks, Peter. I'm doing good. Uh, busy. Uh, this is a very busy time of year for us because we're uh, we, we're in the budgeting season now for next year and updating long range plans and such. Uh, so between that and having a, a pretty hands on involvement in some larger projects we have going on, um, yeah, I, I had my hands full. <laughs>
0: Okay. And it's the summertime, so thank you for uh, thank you for making time. As I said, um, Jonathan and I spoke in December. Time flies by; it's hard to believe it was that long ago. Um, so there's a couple of new items that we want to speak about, and old items to kind of wrap up. But first, I just want to do a, a bit of a um, of a promo. Couple of housekeeping items. Um, first, we have a number of open roles here at Goslin Martin Associates that we're recruiting for. You can check them out at our website under the jobs tab. Secondly, um, we have another free webinar that we are doing on July 29th. This one is called optimize your career. It is a new one. It is a follow on to our first webinar, which was the healthcare facility manager toolbox. You can sign up for that webinar on the 29th at 12 o'clock Eastern, either on our website or following our feed on LinkedIn. All the links are there. So I just want to bring those to your attention. As I said, Jonathan and I talked in December. So what we want to look at today is we'll first take a peek at the current construction market. It's pretty interesting time. Jonathan's involved, um, pretty uh, deeply. So I want to talk about the current construction market as we move out of COVID and things start to normalize. Second, I want to just speak about a couple of the infrastructure items that we touched on during our first podcast. If you haven't listened to it, I would encourage you to do so. It was released December 10th. And lastly, I just wanted to talk to Jonathan, get his thoughts on um, leadership issues in healthcare facilities management. On folks moving out of the construction trades and out of construction into healthcare facilities management, Jonathan has a background, very strong background in construction, both as a child with his dad and in his education and what he's doing now. So really touch on those three areas and anything in between. Um, and I'll stop talking. That's enough about me. Let's get on to the podcast. First question, Jonathan, you've got 35 facilities. How many states um, How many states are you guys in, Bon Secours Mercy Health?
1: So for those facilities mentioned, we are in four different states. Um, we are the largest provider of health care in the state of Ohio, and that's where our primary home is where we're headquartered. And then we are also in the state of Kentucky, Virginia, and South Carolina.
0: Okay. Interesting footprint, huh?
1: So it's um, a product of when uh, Mercy Health merged with Bon Secours uh, Health System in 2018, Bon Secours was on the East Coast, uh, Virginia, South Carolina, uh, and we, uh, Mercy being in Ohio and Kentucky. So Excellent.
0: And for those of you who didn't hear or, or didn't recall our first broadcast, um, Jonathan's role is a new one within, well, new as of 2019 within Bon Secours, bon Secours um, Mercy Health. Relative to the state of construction, the construction market right now. And that's a broad question. But what are you, what are you seeing? Is it stagnant moving forward? Are there pricing challenges, supply challenges? Is the commodities market impacted you? what What's going on? Because we hear a lot about it. We read a lot about it, but you're involved on a daily basis in four states.
1: Mm-hmm. So uh, the um, the markets really come back. I mean, everything's uh, with everything opening back up and and uh, with the pauses that took place last year, you're seeing not just ourselves we 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 are very much a part of this, but uh, other owners as well ready to spend some money, right? <laughs> um, and so there's a lot of projects, not just in healthcare, but everywhere, all the market sectors that are really kind of kicking off and, and moving full steam. What that's doing. It's presenting a lot of challenges, not only on, you know, we're returning to that conversation on labor shortages Yep, because uh, the, the amount of projects that are kicking back off, there's only so much labor to go around, you know, so voila, we're back to that problem that we had before the pandemic, but we are also seeing issues in the supply chain. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's having, that's creating two different problems, that that supply chain issue. First problem uh, is you have raw material issues going on where lack of availability of them. Uh, this is a multitude of things that have created this. It's not just COVID. Uh, it's also uh, natural disasters such as the the big freeze hmm. that happened in Texas back in the winter. Um, the... Uh, Economical and political uh, arena, and the things that the new administration is putting in place that are impacting the markets for sure, Mm -hmm. Uh, specifically in the petroleum uh, Mm -hmm. side of the of the uh, market. And people think of when when they think of oil, the oil industry. That everybody naturally thinks of gas, the pump, right? Like that's where our mind goes to. Yes, but there are far-reaching impacts. Beyond the price of gas that are impacted when you shake up the oil industry, because there's so many byproducts of petroleum and one of the biggest one, plastic. Hmm. And we use plastic for so many different things in construction, all the way down to paint buckets for the paint. Hmm. <laughs> and we now have a shortage in paint because we lack the amount of plastic to make the buckets for the paint to sit in. And wow. so, uh, you know, probably one of the biggest impacts in the construction industry that it's actually affected those roofs, you know, the TPO roof. Um, we're, we're now seeing lead times that are nearing 30 weeks for materials on, on a TPO style roof membrane.
0: What what would and, we, what normally would you have expected to see for for a lead time on that, Jonathan? Uh, six to eight weeks. So, from six to eight weeks to thirty weeks. Mm-hmm. Wow.
1: And that's probably going to remain an issue the rest of this year. Uh, that will slowly catch itself back up, I think, next year. But it's going to we're it's going to continue to be a problem. I think at least for the next six to nine months. It's what I'm hearing from our uh, roofing partner that we have. So um you know so that, that that's the first issue right the mm-hmm. the lack of available materials and then obviously we're impacted just like the auto industry is with the the chip plant issue right yeah. so I don't know how much you know about that but uh most of your electronic chips are manufactured in Southeast Asia Uh, that all about five years ago, chip plant manufacturing ceased to exist in the United States. They shipped it all off overseas. Um, and so that is directly a COVID issue because the inability to import from Southeast Asia for such a long period of time last year, now all of a sudden we can't get enough of it here and where it impacts us is all of our, you know electrical gear, uh, anything that's controlling something, right? Like, you know, controls um, anything, you know, there's an impact in air handlers, there's an impact yep. in uh, all these different parts and pieces, right? And it, that has impacts on construction schedules. The other issue now that we're dealing with as well is the basic economic supply and demand. If supply is down and demand is up, costs go up. <laughs> So costs are going through the roof and we are, you know, in a, in a normal environment, we would typically put about six to 7% escalation Mm -hmm. in our budgeting for projects, you know, that are going to be multi-years. So like anything that's going to take place next year and years beyond, we, we would factor in about that percentage. We're actually uh, now we are looking at anywhere from twelve to fifteen percent, depending wow. on the market it's in. Wow. <laughs> and we, we have seen projects uh, without. Uh, we we have a we have a project going on right now uh, that's still still in the design phase. We have not broke ground, but the um, the the original budget was approximately one hundred fifty million dollars. And while we have not added significant scope and we've added some scope, but not significant. And we have, um, we have not, we've not made any kind of drastic changes to the overall program of the project. We've seen an increase of over $50 million on the project. But
0: Wow. Wow. So that's a lot you know, of money.
1: <laughs> and I would say probably, Set somewhere in the neighborhood of 70% of that is related to inflation mm. of material costs.
0: And it seems like the inflation is only going to continue to increase over the coming months, at least if yeah, what you read is you to know, be believed. The
1: the lumber came back down, which that mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily hit our area, right? But I know lumber has started to, to drop. I don't think other areas are going to continue to drop as Drastically, and the reason why is because the lead times aren't dropping. Yeah, I think you're going to see a direct correlation with the lead times dropping and the prices dropping because then the supply is built itself back up. You know the 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 problem with with a lot of I think the the raw material issues that it kind of stems from the 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 metal production. So the the big steel plants Mm -hmm. we don't have major steel plants anymore. In yeah. the U.S. We haven't for a number of years. Uh, we have these micro plants that can only produce so much at a time. We, we don't have the, bil- the ability as a country to manufacture at large quantities anymore in a singular location. And when we had all of these short, when we had all these COVID shutdowns last year and you had then repetitive shutdowns throughout the year, it is if anybody has any experience with large plant shutdown and and startup, it is a long process to once you shut something down like that, to then start it back up and get it and get production moving again. And that has, if there's anything that's COVID related, that one probably is the most and raw metal production, steel production has a far reaching impact because if you really kind of stop and think about it, like, what all do we use that for in our building construction? We use it for our metal studs. We use it for steel, uh, you know, steel I beams, bar joists, girders, metal decking. We also use it in the production of a lot of our major equipment. So air handlers, generators, chillers, boilers, electrical gear, all that stuff has metal, you know, roll coil metal in it and so those lead times are, are pushing drastically uh, for example uh, gear for your emergency power system approximately 35 to 40 weeks depending on the manufacturer right now a year ago 18 weeks it's <laughs> so doubled yeah so we're having to look at for like the project I just talked about we're having to look at now for gear that I don't need for more than a year, I'm mm. releasing right now mm. to make sure that yeah. I get it on time. That I don't and I don't impact that project when typically I wouldn't have released it until the first of the year.
0: Yeah. Yep. Amazing.
1: So you... it, it, we're having to look much mm. further ahead than we ordinarily would have had to. And that's creating some challenges as well.
0: Yeah. What type of, I mean, what type of challenges is that creating for you? You know, looking that far ahead, it's almost like you have to re-educate, but you have to change that mindset,
1: right? It's a mindset change for one, something that's, you know, for a lot of folks that's been drilled into them to like think about it at XYZ. Now all of a sudden I have to completely change thinking. So you're rechanging habits and things like that. And anybody that knows that knows that that's easier said than done. You're just, you're, you're not always going to a hundred percent change that. Mm-hmm. The second, the second challenge is like in the instance of what I just told you, the project's not designed yet, not fully designed yet. We're at DD. Huh. So we still have a final phase of design to get through, but yet I've got, in order to meet a deadline, a schedule, I've got to go ahead and release equipment. Yeah. Now, it's been vetted. It has been determined that it's safe to go ahead and release it. But there is an a, there is an inherent piece of risk there to release major yeah. equipment like that before design is complete. Yes. That in a different time that wasn't so long ago, we didn't have to take on. So now we're having to weigh new risk that we haven't had to do before. And you have not just for us, but other people as well. You have some people that are having to weigh and manage those risks that have never done that before. And and so I think you're going to find some folks that miss the mark because they don't, they don't know what they don't know. Right. Right. (laughs) Risk management is more so than anything else experience where do I mitigate it where do I need to mitigate it where do I not where can where can I where can I be riskier than other areas
0: so the um so releasing equipment in the DD phase how has that been not to pick on architects but how has that been for your architectural team and I'm not is that I mean that's a huge mindset shift for them correct yeah it's a challenge for them <laughs> as
1: well there's no doubt about it they're they're having to escalate certain areas of design and then fall back and catch it up later. Yeah. And again, it's, it's a one one of the benefits is for that again for that particular project is we that project has been an IPD delivery style. So okay. we've had our design assist contractors involved yeah. uh, throughout throughout the design phase. We brought them on during SD. And so, because of that mindset, because of working with them for this long through everything, it allows us to have a little bit different of a mindset to begin with. Yep. Uh, and they're, they're there to, pres- to bring those challenges to light so that we're aware of them. We may not have known the severity of the issues had we not, had we done it in a more traditional design bid build, uh, delivery style.
0: Yeah. That IPD probably helping you there with that project.
1: I, uh, I, I, I like to think so. Yes.
0: Yeah. I, have you had to increase your contingency, your design contingencies? I know you said you, you've, your escalation is up, but what about contingencies?
1: Uh, we have a little bit. We're, we're, I would say we're, we're carrying more right now than we ordinarily would, but I think also not, not to a, a, a very large degree, um, mm-hmm. probably more so on the MEP side than we would say yeah. the architect.
0: Yep. What are you seeing at the subcontractor level? You know, we talked about lead times and all, but uh, what about their ability to serve? Are they stretched? thin? are they losing? Uh, you know, employees. What, what's the situation at the subcontractor level?
1: Uh, from what I've seen, they're still doing they're they're still doing fine as far as being able to serve us and their other clients. Um, the I, th- I think what we're what we're at is really what life was like before COVID happened. When it mm. comes to them, uh, so while you could make an argument that they're stretched, well, they were stretched back then too, and they were still pulling it off. I mm-hmm. think, again, this is, this is an area where the, the, we talked, I mentioned it at the beginning, the, the labor shortages issue where, I don't know, we're going to talk about that a little bit more later on, but the um, the lack of available labor, you know, qualified. And I, and I think we need to define that qualified labor, people who are qualified to perform these different traits have been trained have been through the schooling and are um, up to par to to work in our buildings but you know especially in a healthcare facility with which has a different set of challenges to it versus say a uh, office building or something like that mm-hmm. um, you know those are we're getting back to that problem it's hard to find enough bodies um, And I think, you know, what we're looking at doing more and more of is looking at the prefabrication discussion. How much can we fabricate for our projects offsite in a controlled environment where I don't need as many bodies to pull it off? And I don't need, um, I I eliminate some of my risk when it comes to working inside of the environment because it's a controlled environment instead of out in the elements. And you bring it in in sections and set it in place and walk away, hook it up and go. So, you know, we're looking at those prefabricated head walls, foot walls. We're looking at, uh, you know, prefabricated corridor racks with all of your major MEP equipment up in the corridor rack that you'll rig in place, set it in in the ceiling space and walk away. Um, You know, many of our markets, we all were uh, in seismic zones. So you can actually So, in lieu of having to have a seismic design and installation for each trade, when you put when you build it all in that rack system and, and install it, you have a singular seismic design, a singular seismic uh, installation for the rack itself, and you eliminate all the all of the cable that would otherwise be above ceiling.
0: Well, that's a big. That's a big bonus. So that's a big
1: benefit. A big bonus. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then we've also utilized a lot of uh, started utilizing more um, modular construction concepts when it comes to in my world, central utility plants. So not just skidding, you know, skidding up like pump packages and stuff like that, but full on building a cup off site with a company like EAS who will build it all off-site in, in building sections and then come in and set the building um, like you're setting a piece of equipment, bolt it all together, fire it up, and you're done. Wow.
0: That's, uh, how much does that save off your time?
1: <laughs> uh, so, it depends. You know, we've kind of evaluated it on – I think that is, a, that is a very big benefit when it's an existing building. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're expanding something at an existing facility or you're, you're building a new, say a new cup for an existing hospital, new construction. It's hard to make harder, harder to make a case for it because I'm, I don't have anything I'm necessarily impacting. Yeah. So I think that that's, you know, I think that's when you evaluate. Do I have, you know, I think the biggest factor it could help there is do I have the quality labor force I'm looking for in that market to do a more traditional stick build, build it on, build it all on site? Or if I'm lacking that available labor force in that market, then I, I think I take a look at building it off site where that, where that quality labor force exists and then just ship it there and set it in place.
0: Last question relative to to the market and the challenges you're seeing before we move on to the next topic area but how is this how have, how is how have these challenges uh, all that you've just articulated how do they change your approach to management communication you know to all the downstream impacts of construction how have you had to change or alter your style I guess is a better way to put it.
1: Uh, me personally, I think the biggest thing is just looking further ahead. Mm-hmm. It's probably, it, probably more than anything, understanding that, okay, if I've got this, say, air handling replacement I want to do uh, for one of the hospitals, I need to plan it further. I, you know, if I, if I know an, exi- an issue exists today, I need to know, I know now in today's environment that I have to basically plan out in a, in a mindset that I know like it's going to be six months longer than it maybe would have been a year ago. Mm-hmm. And then I had to count for that inside of the, I had to quantify that, you know, in dollars and cents as well. Um, so I think that, that that's probably the biggest challenge is, you know, we talked about it earlier, just ch- changing my own mindset of, yeah. hey, what used to take, say, 12 months now takes 18 months. Or, and I'm just throwing numbers out, but, you know, it's knowing that it's going to take longer.
0: Right. Because
1: right. it takes longer to get the piece of equipment. So thereby, you know, naturally the project takes longer.
0: You had mentioned that you, you know, it's a busy time right now. You're doing, uh, you know, your five-year planning, you're doing budgeting for the next year. Talk a little bit, if you would, how do you go about, that five-year planning process. What's the process you follow and how do you bake, in our first podcast, you talked a lot about data and analytics and making sure that data and analytics are meaningful, just, you know, Mm -hmm. not just there. How do you bake all that together? You know, what are you going through right now in this process as you're planning for next year? Can you tie all that together and, you know, what works, what doesn't work? What are flags, red flags?
1: Yeah, so... Kind of a first starting point, you know, the facility managers by uh, just for us by June thirtieth of each year owe me an updated five year outlook for their, each of their facilities, um, whereby they 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 break down their their project request. they give me their priority list, um, and they give me the ca- the cash flow. It so if it's you know, a singular year, then, you know, you're only in one column, but say like for this year, you know, for what we're projecting for any projects that would start next year, if it's a multi-year project, well, how much money do you need in 2022? How much you need in 2023, 24, so on and so forth um, to complete that project. And so we start there. I get all of those. I then am in the process of taking all of those updated plans from each of the facility managers, and I'm vetting it against what we had last year. What changed, what's shifted, um, adding in that last year at the back end, right, and uh, taking off 2021 and just making that update to our master plan that has all the facilities within it. Then... I take, I take that much like I did last year and I take it and i vet it against all of our assessments we've performed at each facility. So we, we have our um, inventory list on a, on major equipment where we have identified, you know, say on an air handler, we've identified what size air handler it has, what, what major components within the air handler it has, what area does it serve? What's the age of the air handler, and then we apply a grade to the air handler based on its condition and based on, and then between its condition and age using a, um, a grading system that has been kind of, it's a hybrid of ASHRAE and ashi and a few others that I, I've used over the years, apply grade to the air, to that piece of equipment. And we use that to then vet against the five-year outlook of saying, okay, you know, these that are in red, red being in bad, are they on this list? And if they are, great. Okay. Now let's take those and prioritize them. And we'll prioritize based on, you know, again, for an air handler, say like, what areas are they serving? I'm probably more concerned about an air handler that serves an OR than I am, say, that serves the administration wing. Yep. So we'll prioritize it that way, um, and then um, we also have done uh, perform full on uh, facility condition assessments as well on the building, which will help us tackle, say, the uh, the building envelope issues, the parking, uh, the parking lot, parking garage issues, where we have like systemic problems, where we have ADA yeah. compliance. Uh, mm uh issues in a certain facility or outside um that helps us pick up on those different things and we just use the the facility condition index that you know the FCI scoring system to to do that um so that that's a a pretty tried and true process that's been used for a number of years it it, it works so I don't need to reinvent the wheel there let's just do this and use it so um but at the same time like I don't need to I don't I'm a big believer. I'm not going to hire somebody to do that when we could do it ourselves. So we've done it in a hybrid format of between myself, the facility managers, and then my design and construction team members as well, uh, assisting with that across all the facilities. Um, And kind of put all that together and working on a kind of a high level executive summary we'll give to our leadership. But we will also you obviously use that to feed anything that needs to take place within our uh long range planning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When do when does that process conclude?
1: So uh typically the, the first round of presenting that that updated plan will take place in September and we'll have a follow up in October.
0: Okay. So I know um you began in your role in twenty this present role in twenty nineteen. And I know mm-hmm. that you brought a lot of process, um, and you know you had to bring structure from it too. Going back to the facility managers at each of the hospitals and the facility managers creating that list for you um, of projects and all was that? Did you establish that? And you know we've been talking about mindset a lot. How did you help or did you have to help in that mindset? Because this is a component of what they do. It's not the major component of what they do, yet it's so important to what they do. So Mm -hmm. how was that? How did facility managers, did they take to this as a good process? Did you have to assist? What was that like to establish this program with that? So
1: I did have to establish it. It wasn't really in any kind of existing format. Uh, Established it by writing a policy for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, gave them, provided them the tools to do it. So I, I, I built the, the, you know, Excel is, you know, in the absence of a a software, like it it works, you can, you can use it. It's not, it has some inherent, uh, opportunities for failure, Right, but, um, it I'm always afraid nothing.
0: of those formulas. Yeah, like
1: yeah, it, it beats nothing at all. But you know, what I've done is I've locked formulas so they can't mess with formulas. At least mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm pretty good, and I'm, I'm I'm better than proficient, I guess, in Excel. So I know how to to do all the little nuanced things within a workbook like that to lock things I don't yeah. want changed. So um, so I've got that. I've at least got that in place so that things can't be messed with. But I provided all those tools for them to do it. Set deadlines for them to meet as far as getting the information back to me, because you know, as you as you know, if you, if you give somebody something to do with an open-ended end date, you'll never get it. So right. you gotta you you gotta provide a, a, a an end date, a realistic one, right? But you, an end date, no matter what, so that they can get the information back to you. Um. So did that? Got the information back. I would say by and large, the receptiveness to, to do all this was good because they understood it was going to be a mechanism to get them the, the capital they've looked for for a very long time. Um, so, you know, for, for most for most FMs, if, you, if you're telling them, hey, this is going to be a way to get you money to do the things you're wanting to do. They're going to do what they're going to do what they need to do to get it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had a few that were maybe, I don't want to say difficult, just, you know, had to be worked with a little bit more uh, that, you know, and and in some respects, it was more just coaching them on do's and don'ts, what they needed to, what they needed to be looking for versus uh, versus not focusing on like i i mean i had some folks send me stuff for like hey repainting a unit well okay <laughs> one that's not what this is intended for and then two if you're strictly painting i don't know i don't know if you know this either but you can't capitalize painting
0: mm-hmm.
1: yep. so uh you can capitalize painting when it's part of a larger project but just simply going in and repainting something you can't capitalize that So, um, and many of our FMs didn't understand that. I've actually coached them to understanding capital rules, like by law, you know, the the capital finance laws um, of what you can and cannot capitalize and, you know, thresholds you have to meet. Because, you know, when you're buying, say, like, because we had a few guys that wanted to buy, say, TVs with some capital. Okay. Well, when you're buying say a commodity like that, that's going to be like packaged up in skid and you're buying it in quantities, capital finance laws for that are different than say a singular project. So um, you have to be, for a singular project, it has to be greater than $5,000 and it has to extend usable life uh, beyond uh, three years when you're buying something like a commodity, like a TV, and you're going to disperse them, that threshold is actually $25,000.
0: <laughs> that's a lot of TVs. Yeah, that is, <laughs> that's a big difference. <laughs> and
1: there's not a singular hospital that's going to need $25,000 worth of TVs. <laughs> right. So so what I've, what I've had to do is tell them, hey, like you can't just do that one-off by itself you could package it into say a whole unit renovation but you can't do it just buying some new tvs like the the, you, you can't do that so um so i've had to do a few things like that just but i would say again i would i would say again most of our facility folks have been very good to work with when it comes to that and receptive and I do try my best uh, to be cognizant of their time as well. Yeah. I, yeah, I know that they have a lot of demands on their time, having been one myself. So yep. I don't want to put any unneeded pressure or, or stresses on them to get something done. That's why, you know, when I, when I give them the, gave them the, the tools the first time, I gave them six months to get it back to me. Yeah, it's a good So one. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, within six months' time, you should be able to assess right. all the equipment in your building and fill this this workbook out and then establish your the, for the first time ever your five year plan. You know. Right. And, and in some respects, I would say more than half. The the FMs already had a long term plan. They just didn't have it necessarily in the format that I had it wanted it in. Yep. So they had at least a foundational start of something right. to work with. So that, that part helps. Because I mean, and, and I, I assumed that was going to be the case when I got here because I would uh, I, I would say any good facility manager or director has some sort of long range outlook anyway. Right. They're looking beyond one year to begin with. So but they know if they know their facility real well, it shouldn't be that hard. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't think they struggle so much with that. I think the it's just needing the time to put it all together. And especially with what happened last year, too, that just added to the stress. So um, this year, I think it was probably a little bit easier because those things were already in place. So all they had to do was really update what they already had.
0: Yes, I was, I was just going to say, Did I mean, last year, COVID year 2020, it probably, I mean, there's probably a slam on the brakes at a given point, And it was relatively, probably from an implementation perspective, must have slowed.
1: You know, it, it, it honestly, it's still we still met all the the deadlines that were needed. Great. Um, so, I think, I you know, we still managed to pull it off <laughs> Good. Yeah. In, in the time hey. frame that we needed to do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah,
0: that's yeah, that's the that's what you can ask for. Uh, let me mm-hmm. ask. You know, infrastructure. It's not really a sexy word. Nobody really likes it, but it's probably the most important word for any facility, right? Infrastructure. Yeah. How are you, you know, when you're presenting to your senior leadership, so when, when you're taking the output of what you're going through now and when you're presenting September, October, sometime in the fall, how is what you are asking for and your needs at the senior level how do they respond to that? Because again, everybody likes the stuff that looks good and the infrastructure you can't see. so like your messaging or how are you received? how are your needs received? and have you had to um, do you almost need to politic at times somewhat to to stress or you know what's your approach to that because you're not you know you're not Mr. Sexy coming in with infrastructure uh, infrastructure issues.
1: Well, I think it's sexy, but that's <laughs> I
0: right. know you would. Um,
1: so the, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and
0: I guess most of our listeners would as well, right? <laughs> that's right. You so, know how important it is.
1: Oh, I do. But yeah, but uh, so to answer your question, uh, first off, I am beyond blessed with a group of leaders that are you know at, at our highest levels that understand the need for investment in infrastructure mm. um, and. While they understand it's non-revenue generating and things like that, they also understand that it's the cost of doing business. And if we wish to continue doing business, we're going to have to invest in it. Yeah. So, um, So first off, it's not that difficult for me to sell to them because they're already on board before I get there. So that that part is very helpful for me. And I know not all of the people listening to this podcast will share that sentiment because <laughs> I, I know that the, it's a much different story in a lot of other places. Yeah. But I'm yeah. blessed with that with that reality for where I'm at. Um, secondly though, I do very, very much make an attempt if it if it's a project that's going to have a Positive impact to an to an operational bottom line. So say I'm a, you know it's an energy efficiency project that's going to make a building more efficient on its energy consumption. We try to highlight that, and mm-hmm. in any and then any opportunity that we have, we produce a ROI or a life cycle cost analysis that tells us, hey, if we invest this, we'll see this back, and if we you know if we invest it this way. It can cost this much over its life, or if we invest it this way, it can cost this, and here's the delta between. So, to try to help, put as much of a sell to it as we can, so that they understand why we're doing certain projects. You know, because I think that is important at the end of the day. That Yes, they are super supportive, but they do ask questions because yes. you know, the, and and I have earned a certain level of trust with them, but at the same time, I do have to validate why we would invest that much in something, uh, especially on certain projects so that they, that way they have an understanding of the why behind it. And I think that is important. Yeah. Um, I also, you know, there are some projects that you flat out can't really produce an ROI on. You can produce theoretical type ROIs, but you you, you can't. Now, I I use the example of yeah. Like, I was gonna say, say,
0: can you give me an example? Say
1: like uh, your The probably the biggest example is like in your electrical infrastructure. So if you've got aging gear, whether that's on normal or emergency power side, or you've got generators that need to be replaced, you know, you, you start looking at that. That can be a very expensive project to to do. Um, you know, multi million, and the way i frame it is you know if you want to put a theoretical roi R- 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 a- R- R- to it what's the cost of failure on that equipment <laughs> what what does that cost my facility yeah. when it fails when mm. i go you know say i lose a a transformer on the downside of the transfer switches what does that cost me that my building's dark and the or yeah that I can't operate <laughs> ORs for days on end. You know, you can you can talk to your CFO and and, and get a a price per hour or a revenue revenue dollars per hour you see in those ORs. They could they could come up with that information for you, and that's your cost of failure is however many hours it's down. You know that that's how much money the hospital theoretically would lose. Yes. Um, so. And I heard this phrase once in a, in a presentation. I really like it. So I've, I've stolen it and started using it myself, but nothing's new, uh, right?
0: Nothing's original. Everybody takes.
1: Yeah. But the, uh, uh, the cost of doing nothing after or, or the, the, the ROI, uh, after a piece of equipment fails is infinite.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: That's good. So, uh, and, I, and I think when you when you frame something like that, it, it can really kind of hit home.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, along those lines, the one I always thought of as well was just with, uh, you know, say your electrical infrastructure fails, just with the TV cameras in your face, the hospital president's face as you're evacuating people in the middle of the night. You know, that mm-hmm. you don't want to be, you don't want to be in the news. You don't want to be, on. you, know, you don't want to be in the newspaper. Right. Um yeah, all of the, the, those yeah. things are the things you shudder at because that's where you yeah. don't want to be. I would say, um, you know, you
1: could use that example for, you know, Legionella prevention. You know, if you need to yeah. put a system in place to help get that in working order, which, you know, we've done before and used cap, capital theory infrastructure to do. Um, you don't want to be on the wrong side of that equation where right. you have a problem and then all of a sudden you have a patient acquired hmm. uh, Legionella because... Hmm. That I don't know that you can put a price on that bad
0: PR. No, you can't. So we are um, we're speaking today with Jonathan Hunley, the system director of facilities infrastructure for Bond, Secours Mercy Health. Um, been a fast moving podcast so far. I want to ask one more question relative to infrastructure, and then I want to switch gears for the final half. I want to talk a little bit about. Um, leadership and and construction backgrounds and uh, trades backgrounds, that's been a big, that's always a big uh, source of discussion, especially with the shortage in leadership we're seeing. But I want to ask one other question relative to kind of the infrastructure. You know, Jonathan, listening to you speak, you obviously have technical components to your role. You have finance components to your role. You have the soft skill, the communication, the delegation, the leadership. You have the hard skill. What do you think, and this is just your opinion, you know, relative to all those things, and I could probably guess what you're going to answer, but is there one area, you know, one bucket, technical, finance, hard skills, soft skills, that's more important, or do you use them all equally? You know, how do you assess your breakdown and what you need and and where you think your strengths need to be in this role?
1: So, I mean, while they're all important, you need to understand at least on a foundational level, all of those areas mm-hmm. um, i again, I don't think anything replaces the importance on soft skills mm-hmm. um if so you give me somebody who has the soft skills, I can teach them the rest
0: mm-hmm.
1: I can't teach soft skills a lot of times people either have that or they don't, and I think a lot of i think like a lot of cases also that's a personality trait. It's also a willingness to work on it and make it better. Mm. And some people just either don't have the desire to make it better or, you know, they just, they don't, it doesn't naturally come to them and that's okay. But it's also like, I I think having that soft skill of being able to communicate to anybody and, and talk with them in, in ways that they can understand and translate means more than anything else. Yeah. Because at the end you- of the day, I can give you the information you need. I, I, I can, you know, I, I have people that, that know the information that can feed it to you, but if you can't communicate it, you're dead in the water.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of stuck in you and you can't get it out. Yeah. Yeah. Y- you talked about, um, you know, the, you mentioned the willingness to make it better Relative. improving soft skills did anything or does anything come to your mind as um as a soft skill area that you can work on and make better is there one in particular or is it just in general you're thinking of
1: uh well i mean there's classes out there you can you can take part in there's education you can sit through that uh you know i've sat through them before myself either by obligation due to my position or voluntarily on my own because I wanted to I'm a learner by by this is the kind of natural that's who I am I, I like learning so um, I do seek out education probably more so than others do sometimes just because I, I enjoyed learning something new right but right at the same but at the same time um, I have had these little like takeaways from each thing I've set through uh, when it comes to that area, that, that soft skill area. And I just kind of put them together in a way that made yeah. sense for me. Um, yep. But you know, I don't, I, I don't know that there's one magic formula that's out there because everybody's different and everybody learns different and everybody, everybody has their own little nuances about them. But I think again, the want to, you know, it's an attitude, right? It's, it's, it's a, you, if, if you can recognize if that's an area you need to work on, but yet you don't have the right attitude to fix it, you're never going to fix it. Right. You, you've got to, if you can take the time to kind of self-assess yourself and understand that's something I need to work on and you're willing to put the work in to do it, you, you can, People can change. I think. I think people can change. I don't subscribe to the theory that uh, a uh, leper can't change its spots. Yeah. Because I think I, I think people can change. I know. I, I know that because I've changed in, yeah. in many areas. So like, I, I'm, a, I'm a I'm a product of change. So yeah. I, I think people can.
0: I agree. But you gotta, I agree.
1: You got to get your, you got to get your mind right for it first because the work is not always going to be easy.
0: Yep. You know, one I always think of that, like you said, it's not easy, but you can change. And and this, I think the self-assessment is so important because you have to know before you can change, right. Or you have to be self-aware is yeah. just the ability to, the ability to listen, right. Just, I mean, yeah. it can be as simple as stop talking or it can be as simple as just write a little note, you know, listen more. So it that's, you know, um, not very intricate, but listening, we can all be better. Just stop talking, listen, You know, be present. Mm-hmm. But anyways, um, I wanted to change to our final topic and, uh, I appreciate your time. Um, you grew up in construction. I remember from our first podcast, you tagged along with your dad, you were reading drawings at 12 construction is in your blood. We talk about Leadership shortages in healthcare facilities management. I talk often with our clients, and I should actually put put a plug in too. Jonathan was talking about education. We do soft skill education here. We have a couple of programs. I, I just leave that there. But but we talk about the other thing we talk about a lot is you know leadership shortages in healthcare facilities management and the suitability for trades folks to rise up into leadership positions. And I guess I would say trades, whether your, your, your trades within the hospital with your MEP trades, HVAC, or even in construction. We don't have a lot of future leaders. They're not walking through the door. What are your thoughts? And, and if you want to go back to kind of, you know, how you've been formed in construction and your experience, but what are your thoughts, Jonathan, relative to the suitability for trades folks to rise up into leadership positions, should they desire it? Kind of a broad question, but what are your thoughts on it?
1: <laughs> so I'll start with the, the facility manager kind of track first. Sure. I know on, say, like the collegiate level, that's a growing uh, education area focus in, in universities mm-hmm. where you're starting to see more and more offer it as a major, something you can mm-hmm. major in. Quite frankly, it wasn't something that really existed when I went through school, um, and if somebody would have told me that, you know, when I was going to school that I'd be doing this, you know, <laughs> almost, almost uh, a decade and a half later, I'd have told them that crazy. So like, I, I never really <laughs> thought that that's what I would get into. Yep. Um, and, and, and in many cases, didn't know that that was something that even existed. So I would say though, that first off, For, you know, boys and girls who are in high school right now, college is not everything. Mm -hmm. It's a piece of paper that says you accomplished something. But do you absolutely need it to succeed in life? No. No. And this is coming from somebody who has two pieces of paper. I... Everything I learned there, I probably use 15% of it. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, I, most of what I've learned to do my job, I learned post graduation. So, it's, I, I think we as a society pushed it and pushed it and pushed it for so long that, you know, that that's just, it became the, the societal norm that that's what you did when you finished high yeah. school, you went to college. I think we've reached a precipice where we understand now that that maybe that's not necessarily the case. Uh, So I'm gonna you you actually you actually hear uh, uh, I've heard Elon Musk actually say this before. Give me a person, you know, if if you're looking, you've got two people you're interviewing, and and one person has like the right attitude, but they never went to college, and but yet the the other guy who is a 4.0 student from a highly accredited university, I'm gonna take the guy who has the right attitude.
0: Yeah. You so. know, it, it's 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 funny, and I, I want to go back to you because you know to hear your thoughts. But I just uh, we deal with that a lot on the recruiting side, and I didn't know what you were going to answer. Um But I agree with you wholeheartedly on that education component of it. I I know that one of our I don't want to say frustrations, but one of the things we will frequently deal with on the recruiting side of the business is hospitals want to see that degree. And I actually we did a podcast mm-hmm. on it a couple of weeks ago, and I just I just released a two-part article just about that education component of it. And and I, I feel like I'm increasingly swimming upriver on it, but I don't see that that degree is the end-all, be-all. And if you've got that soft skill component, if you're able to communicate, it doesn't matter if you grew up in the trades or you yeah. went to an Ivy League school. You know, it's yeah. not, we don't all have it. So I do, I agree with you. And I think increasingly that degree is the, you know, that's the, You need that to even get into it. And I I think that's the wrong approach on it. It There's more to life than just that degree. And you know what? And and then I'll stop because I really feel passionate about it. Is, you know, I graduated high school 85. So, you know, college was important then. But, um, you know, it wasn't what it's become today. You know, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't the end all, be all. And folks, if you didn't want to go to school, don't go to school, right? I mean, mm-hmm. get mm-hmm. into the trade. And but now I feel for those folks, and like you, I have a couple of degrees too. I don't; they're not worth anything to me. I mean, it was more the experience. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think you know, if in nineteen eighty five you told somebody you wouldn't be able to advance because you don't have a degree in twenty twenty one. It, despite your soft skills. So I'll stop. I feel like I'm on a soapbox, but I feel passionate about it. And I agree with you. I mean, it, it's that soft skill g- component that's so critical.
1: Yeah. So again, I, uh, this has been a, a source of contention for myself too. I, I think part of it is, you know, especially in the healthcare industry, so many of the roles in the healthcare industry do require you to go to school. To learn yep it because yep. that is your trade school. You know, for mm-hmm. doctors and nurses that is their trade school. Yep. Right? So so I think in many cases the human resources folks within our in- industry have a mind have that mindset drilled into them that you got to have a college degree because so much of our industry is clinical. Agree. And so I think that that's right there first that's where a change has to take place that we need human resources folks within our HR departments that when they're, when they're going to take care of our departments, you know, in the not only in the facility side, but the PDC side as well, you need a unique individual who understands us mm-hmm. and the challenges of our side and how it's so different than the clinical side and can work with us. And then can also champion the internal changes and policy changes that need to take place that can support us. Because I think in many cases, you have these global policies that are in place, say, you know, I I know for us, like in order to attain a director's level position, you have to have a four-year degree.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Because that is a global policy. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't say direct. It doesn't tell you director of what. It just says director. That's true on the clinical side. I would agree that 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 is something you probably need because you, you generally speaking you've come up through you know nursing or radiology or doctor or whatever mm-hmm. to do that in order to be those people you needed to have that degree. But there are other areas within the hospital on the support side that you don't need that. I wouldn't even say this holds true in IT. Like I could teach most people in IT learn far more when they get out of school than they do within it. So I I, I know some IT folks who who agree with that. So that's why I feel like comfortable in saying that. But,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, I think that there are areas where we need to shift a focus when it comes to HR and our hiring practices. And it's going to start with, a changed mindset and how we write policies to, to support that hiring process. Um, Secondly, again, going back to the topic, should I go to college? Should I not? If you don't go to college, again, I don't think that that's the end of the world. However, you do need to do something to apply yourself after you finish school, after you finish high school. So, you know, go to, go to a trade school, whatever trade mm-hmm. that is, that might be, yep. go to a, a, a technical school to learn something within it, go, do something like that. Right. And, and, and learn those skills needed to then go perform that job. Um, I, I'd say this all the time, like to my wife and to people I'm friends with, you know, I've got two boys well, my and not to, I'm not trying trying to discount my girls either, but at the same time, I, I just knowing them, I don't think they're gonna be tradespeople. <laughs> uh, but you know, for my boys, and one of them in particular, he he likes working with his hands. He likes doing yeah. different things like that. When he graduates high school, if he doesn't want to go, to college, that's fine. He's gonna go. To, he's gonna go learn a trade. He's gonna you gotta yeah. go. You know, like an electrician, go be a plumber, go do something like that. Those people can make a really nice living, right? Absolutely. And in many cases, they're making six figures and they're doing it a whole lot quicker than the person that graduated college. And yep. they're doing it without debt. Yep. You know. Yep. Um, and, and for the ones who have any kind of gumption about them, they'll move up through the leadership ranks really quick within that industry because there's a lack of ceiling above them to hold them down because that workforce is aging out so quickly. There's just these big wide open gaps that exist for them to uh, accelerate quicker than they otherwise would have. I would also say on the leadership side, you know, you know, the the trades guys will call it the office side um, within construction there's a real big gap there that exists and it's made it hard for, I'd say like mentoring and trying to bring people up. So the the 2008 crash really killed the construction industry, right? Hmm. It it served as a deterrence for a a good four or five years of people entering the industry, whether it be trades or it be through a leadership side. Um, I have a lot of people I went to school with, you know, I, I graduated college in 08. In, uh, in and so I graduated right when that was happening. And um, I have a lot of people that I, I went to school with that aren't even in construction anymore. They, they left it all together and went and did something else. Hmm. And I think that's a... Uh, that, that, that's why we, ha- we have this big gap where there's people like myself that are in their late 30s, early 40s. And then there's nobody there between that and say right. mid-20s because everybody left and didn't come through the ranks for a number <laughs> of years. Yep. And so there's this wide gap between people who were there and people who were up and coming. We don't have that middle ground no, and then all of a sudden, too, to go along with that, on the back end of that leadership, they're all retiring out because they're all yeah. you know late boomers or they're Gen Xers that are reaching that age and retiring yeah. out and, and you know walking away now, and so there's it's 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 made it struggle. It's created a real struggle to try to create this mentoring ship that needs to take place to bring that group along because when there's that big of an age gap, as you know, with mentoring, you have to be, you have to find a way to relate. And that generation and the one that, you know, I'm a part of and then like very different in their mentalities
0: Yeah, about how yeah. they
1: do things, about, about how they do things, how they conduct their business, how they, how they work and operate. And I'm not saying that their way is wrong. It's not. It's not wrong. It's just different.
0: It's just different. Yeah, exactly. It's just
1: different. And so yep. it makes it, but it makes it very difficult to relate. And if you can't relate, it's very difficult to mentor.
0: Yep. Absolutely. So well, I
1: think that, that that's another one of our challenges. We got to figure out how to cover that gap so that we can mentor those people along.
0: Well, we could. We could go on and on and on. very interesting conversation. I, I would just say <laughs> yeah. one final thing in closing, and I, I you hit on it, and I was actually talking to somebody this morning about this. I think organizations need to be realistic in and and I think relative to the hiring process, and I think, as you said, you know about that college degree, some things some areas, it's absolutely necessary, others it's not. And I think mm-hmm. organizations need to be realistic, not only about the market, but what they're seeking. And is it attainable? You know, it's, it's great to have high standards. We should all have them. Right. But the, you can't create something out of nothing. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, you still need people to run hospitals. And so, yeah, we could go. We could go on. But I appreciate uh, your time. I was speaking with her, and I'm thanking Jonathan Hunley. System Director of Facilities Infrastructure Bonds Corps Mercy Health for his time, Jonathan. Thank you again for for appearing. I, I enjoyed our discussion. Thanks for having me, Peter. My pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your summer. Good luck with your uh, with your planning. You yes. got a lot of work in front of you. Thank you, Peter. So this is Peter Martin from Goslin Martin Associates. Thank you for listening to the High Reliability Podcast, and we'll be back in August. Have a great day.